Hello, this is Timmy Black, and welcome again to another episode of The Lives of Contemporary Artists. I want to be honest with you. I owe it to you. Ever since I started with these podcasts, I began suffering from anxiety. A very unfamiliar anxiety. Knowing that out there in the ether, there are legions of loving, dedicated listeners eagerly anticipating each new broadcast filled me with an unfamiliar dread. You see, after all these long years working in a fog of obscurity, a well-deserved obscurity, the expectations of, well, fans has for the first time put pressure on my creative process. In the past, I always maintained the measured, patient pace of what the French might call an amateur, and what my wife might call a failure. I dabbled in whatever project interested me at any given time, and as soon as that shallow reservoir of ideas became the least bit parched or strained, I abandoned my endeavor and took some time off, contentedly, even gratefully, and waited for the next visitation of the muse. So thank you, my friends. Thank you. I think. I can no longer afford to indulge in the luxury of that special near-do-well brand of indolence. Timmy's inbox is officially slammed. All I hear from all you fans is... <laughs> Did I say fans? I still can't say that word without without feeling like I just bit into some rotten edamame. Anyway, fans, all I hear from you now is we want more Timmy. And we want more Timmy faster. Now I'll admit, I'm not used to being pestered with all this affection and for the first time in my life, I've taken it upon myself to actually work hard. As a result, I'm always looking for material for future broadcasts. Like I have to do research all of a sudden, like some high school student doing a paper for AP European History. I find myself, despite my fear of crowds, visiting galleries and museums with much greater frequency. I schedule meetings over coffee with artists and, and critics and, 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 and art dealers and art historians. I've even crossed enemy lines, so to speak, and I now voluntarily visit the lavish homes of collectors, removing my shoes and tiptoeing across oceans of tightly tufted carpet in order to examine their latest trophies and get a closer look at the mechanized handiwork of all those underpaid studio assistants. All this research, all these these conversations are making me dizzy. But I owe it to you. I, I feel, I feel like I owe it to you. Now, my chiropractor, this lovely woman from I don't know where in West Virginia who has that kind of 
polite, old-fashioned forthrightness that you only find in people who come from former slave states. Anyway, my chiropractor, who is, by the way, a millennial, which I guess gives her a certain degree of credibility, or, or maybe not, anyway, she's a lot younger than me, and she suggested that I take an online course, something in art history or in contemporary art practice, in order to broaden my knowledge and maybe fill in some of the gaps in my expensive education. She said that taking a class online could be fun, and it would certainly spare me the inevitable embarrassment that comes with going to community college at night with a room full of chatty retirees. Anyway, it turned out to be a pretty good idea. You know, there's a ton of stuff out there, and some of it looks pretty legit. So now I'm in this so-called circle of lifelong learners, and I get all these solicitations from all these institutions offering courses and things like the practical application of neuroscience in real estate investment, or medieval French poetry in the southern tradition of the itinerant troubadour. There's something called strategic fitness for project managers that's offered by the Glasgow School of Behavioral Economics, a class I almost signed up for after I saw how cool their diploma was. But luckily, my focus is pretty narrow, so it was easy finding what I was looking for. I settled on something called Primary Colors and Colonialism, which is put out by the University of Bologna. It cost me about $900, but their graduation certificate looks really nifty with all this Italian written on it and this fancy European calligraphy, and I figured it would look great on a wall if I ever decided to rent a studio again. Anyway, talk about material. Who knew they had all this art in all those shithole countries? Well, I'm about halfway through with this course and it's already given me a bunch of ideas and some really good stories about artists that for the life of me, I can't understand why they don't appear in, in the standard art history books. Case in point, Jacob or Jacopo Velocino. Let me tell you a little bit about Velocino. He was born just outside the city of El Jubail in eastern Saudi Arabia in 1873. Very little is known about his early life other than the date of his birth. He came from a family of Gulf fishermen and spice merchants. Some scholars claim that he was a descendant of Nestorian Christians basing their claims on some dubious, possibly forged documents. Others insist that he was the great-grandson of the Mufti of Ha'il. But what everyone agrees upon is his notorious apostasy. Now, around the turn of the 20th century, Velocino was sent by the Emir of Buraida on a vague diplomatic mission to Estonia and Lithuania. What was supposed to have been a four-week trip became a mysterious disappearance lasting four years. When he finally returned to the Arabian Peninsula, he had two small children and was married to the niece of the chief rabbi of Ostrog. It didn't take too long for him to figure out that Western Europe might be a more hospitable place to live 
And so, in around 1904, disgraced, he moved with his family to Paris and quickly fell in with La Bonne à Picasso, the Picasso crew. And he was hanging out at the Bateau Lavoie with the likes of Max Jacob, Alfred Jarry, Guillaume Apollinaire, and André Salmon. It was there where Velocino enjoyed a life of intellectual fraternity, reckless promiscuity, and antic artistic subversion. However, he died broken and penniless shortly before the First World War. It was his good friend Amedio Modigliani who insisted on collecting the funds in order to give him a proper burial in the cemetery at Montmartre, and you can find him there today, resting in eternal peace not far from the grave of his favorite composer, Hector Berlioz. Well, that's enough trivia for now, but join me next week as I fill your heads with more useless information on the lives of contemporary artists. <laughs>